Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Is It Worth It? Cinema at Home. Presented by Ranji Namra. Hello, I am not your host, Ranjit Namra. And uh, neither am I. I'm not Ranjit Namra either. I'm Craig Fields. And I am David Long. And welcome to episode three of Cinema at Home. Craig, it's us again. It is is me and you, you and I together. It it is indeed. Unfortunately, Ranjit wasn't able to do this episode, um, but we know he'll be listening. So we send our regards out to Ranjit, who hopefully will be back for episode four. But alas, Craig, episode three, and what a busy, busy episode it is. It really is. Uh, We'll be kicking off the show with the report. Uh, You're going to be doing that with your brother, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, We're going to get my brother uh, on on FaceTime um, and have a a quick chat with him. uh, And then we're going to review the report together. And then all three of us will be reviewing Mario story. What else have we got on Cinema at Home today, Craig? Well, we'll be taking a look at The King, Six Underground, uh, Dolomite, Dolomite Is My Name, and The Two Popes, so it's a pretty packed out show of original content from yes. the streaming services. And I think that's the best way to start the show, actually, is just to talk about the quality of films that Netflix and Amazon Prime are pumping out with The Irishman, Marriage Story, Dolomite Is My Name... All of them have been nominated for Golden Globes. Um, we've also got The King, which is a, a high-quality piece of filmmaking. Um, and then you've obviously got The the Report as well, which um, is, is, is a brilliant piece of filmmaking from Amazon Prime. Uh, and also The Two Popes. These are really high-profile films that are now coming out on streaming services. It's pretty incredible stuff, actually. Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw last year with Roma and all the Oscar buzz that that got and all the nominations it got and all the awards that it won, that the, the tide is starting to turn. Things are starting to change for streaming services and it is now becoming a really powerful platform and a platform that must be taken very, very seriously come awards season. Indeed. Um, so shall we welcome Andrew to the show then? We we will shortly. I was just going to ask you how how how's things? How's the Christmas shopping? <laughs> <laughs> Have you done any yet? Because I I managed to just about do mine today. Uh, a, a, so all of it, you've done all of it today. I, I did a variety of online purchases and scuttled around town. Online per online Amazon. It's a very Amazon themed show. We're, we're it is. Amazon should be paying us the amount we're plugging them on this episode. Sponsor us at least. Um, indeed. Uh, and also, yes, yeah, scuttled around town like a scolded cat with lots of other men, balding, middle aged men with beer bellies like myself, all running around town looking miserable <laughs> as hell doing lastminute.com. Uh, I received a lovely Christmas present from one of our customers at work four crates of uh, Monster Energy. So I am highly stimulated. And very... You were supposed to be curbing this. I was supposed to be curbing this, but alas, four crates turned up. My my work colleagues tried to pour them all down the sink, <laughs> but I literally got them and ran home with them during my lunch break. This is a damn um, shame. I've got mango flavour. One of them is a sports energy drink. But, um, by Monster. I think, I think it's got so much caffeine that you don't even need to go on a treadmill because your heart rate is increased so much that it actually quantifies as a workout. That's pretty good. Um, I feel like Monster should be sponsoring us as well. Monster should be sponsoring us. Amazon should be sponsoring us. Some sort of steakhouse. Yeah. But now, and yourself, any shopping done? Well, I mean, I've done I've done quite a fair bit, but I've still got uh, the grandparents to do. Uh, it is currently December twenty 
third, no, 22nd. 20, 20 seconds. Oh, I, I, the days all merge into one at the minute. Yeah. Um, and I've the wrapping part, that's the hardest part. I just mm. can't do it. I don't know what you do. I don't know. Do you put them in gift bags or do you actually wrap? I'm very lazy, so I am a gift bag man. Um, although today I did purchase some wrapping paper and sellotape. I'm going to attempt to, to wrap some presents. Yeah, so I attempted to wrap my dad's presents. Now, I, the hardest thing to wrap is clothing. Um, just screw it all up and well this is what I've done it looks like a Christmas cracker uh, you know I've scrunched the ends of the wrapping paper <laughs> up and tied some bows around it and stuff and I it think looks it's awful it's always important to have the right paper to sellotape ratio because there's nothing more annoying than someone that puts too much sellotape on which means you just can't access the uh, the present yeah uh, you know what uh, Christmas eh Christmas but alas that's enough that's enough of us waffling, waffling. from us um Andrew. Let's let's welcome my this is my brother Andrew Long uh, onto the show. Andrew, hello, lovely to have you on the show. How are you? Hello, uh, thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm very well. Brilliant. Good to have you here. Um, so what we're going to do is me and you are going to dive into the report uh, very shortly. But firstly, I thought I'd just ask you a little bit about what you're up to. Obviously, you are my brother, so I know in terms of um, your career path and, and recently having graduated from university. Just tell our listeners what you did a degree in, uh, what result you got in the end, and what your desired or quest is when it comes to a career. Yeah, so um, I did a three-year acting degree um, at the Manchester School of Theatre, um, and I came out of a first-class honours. So well done, um, sir. I was very happy with that. Um, yeah, so before that, I was part of the National Youth Theatre, um, did training with them. So essentially, acting is the is the career I'm going into. Mm. Um, and as you know, uh, with actors, you're either extremely busy or extremely unbusy. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's just about you know keeping yourself busy when you're not working. Mm. Um, and yeah, I currently live in Manchester. Um, so that's a brilliant city for, um, creatives. There's lots of, um, good theatre up there. Um, and it's a really good cinema scene as well. Mm. Um, there's lots of kind of independent cinemas, which show a lot of films, um, which is always good. Yeah. yeah, That's me. And one of those independent cinemas was, uh, where you saw the report, I believe. Yeah, so um, I went to see at home, uh, which is a theatre, but it's also a cinema. Um, so it plays, you know, it played The Irishman, it played The Report. There's lots of independent films, there's lots of film festivals. Um, so if you are a creative, home is definitely a place you should definitely go to, um, even if you're an art lover, film lover, um, or theatre lover. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, so yeah, that's very I- good. Yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, obviously, I will say this while you're on it. Andrew's a very talented actor. He puts me to shame. Um, <laughs> I think one of the best performances I ever saw him, he played Fagan uh, in the school play, and he was he was brilliant. Um, he's a very talented man. And, and, and I, I must say, actually, Andrew, last year, what were you up to uh, acting-wise? Um, so this, this time last year, I was um, acting on a train. Um, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I was... Um, essentially people came on and we reenacted the polar express so i just shaved my beard off and keep my tash and i uh tried <laughs> to do my best my best tom hanks impression um so that certainly wasn't um that was certainly a bit different but nonetheless it was extremely fun and very rewarding for a lot of the children on board um so that was very magical yeah oh that's cool well, brilliant. So we've had a little chat about Andrew, but now let's get down to business and focus on our first film, which is The Report. 
Um, its director is Scott Z. Burns. Uh, so what's this film about? Well, ide- idealistic Senate staffer Daniel Jones is tasked to lead an investigation into the enhanced interrogation tactics of the CIA in the aftermath of 9-11. Jones's research job becomes an obsession, one which intensifies when he faces an uphill battle to get his findings published. Um, I'm going to kick off uh, with this review and then we'll bring Andrew in. Uh, I'm going to start where I love to start, which is with Rotten Tomatoes. And it gets a perfectly even 81% score from the critics and the audience. And I love to see that because that shows that that is a film that is loved by audiences Mm. and by critics alike. Um, This film is told in a series of flashbacks um, and it is very, very word heavy, but it is gripping nonetheless. One of the best things about this film is the... um, Great, great acting um, brought by Adam Driver and Annette Bennett. Um, And what it does, Craig, is it shows in graphic detail the interrogation methods used um, by the Americans post 9-11. And what the Americans did is that they manipulated the definition of torture and used these enhanced interrogation methods. Mm. Um, And basically, by calling them enhanced interrogation methods and by getting a series of very clever lawyers to look at what the definition of torture is, these methods weren't defined as torture, therefore the Americans could use them. But what kind of things were they doing? Well, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. (laughs) And and I'll let you be the judge of whether you think this is torture. Beatings, hooding, um, binding in contorted stress positions, uh, subjection to deafening noise, quite often heavy metal music, sleep deprivation to the point of hallucinations, waterboarding, rectal rehydration and or rectal feeding, mock burials, um, confined spaces with insects, uh, waterboarding. I don't know if I mentioned that. So, (laughs) So there you go. I mean, these are the kind of things that are used. And the first thing I'll say about this film is with the subject matter and with those interrogation methods, which they they use and you see in very, very graphic detail. Yeah. There is no light relief to speak in this film. There's no side story. There's no little, you know, side love interest. There's no moments of characters at home. There's no moments of characters um, commuting into work. It's very, very full on. Andrew, I don't know what you thought about this film, but for me, I, I mean, we'll come on to whether it's worth it and whether I enjoyed it, but it was a real heavy, hard-hitting piece of cinema. Yeah, so it's a very interesting film because I, I remember this being on the news maybe 10 years ago um, and I kind of vaguely remember it. And obviously what this film does um, is it essentially is extremely enlightening um, in portraying a extremely dark period um, in US history. Um, and as you said, the film is extremely intense. I found it very, very wordy. Um, and I think it was a good job I saw it in the cinema Um, because it meant that I was concentrating. um, I was in an environment where I could give it my full attention. And obviously this is on Amazon Prime. Um, So most people will be watching this at home. Um, And one thing I would say is if you are watching at home, you know, prepare yourself. It is a very, very intense film. Um, And I think that was my only, as you said, I think that's my only kind of criticism um, is that obviously Adam Driver is absolutely fantastic Mm. in the part. Um, but I, I didn't really have that much of a connection to the characters. Um, you know, I only had an interest um, in the story, essentially. And I think that's testament to how gripping the story is because it kind of overlooked the fact you didn't need the side stories. It, it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think if the film could have been improved, it maybe could have been delving deeper into Adam Driver's characters. You know, like you said, family life or home life or something, just to give the audience a bit of 
to give him more empathy, I suppose, or, you know, egg him on as such. Um, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Adam Adam Driver gives a, a really compelling performance, but like you said, he is very work-focused, and because you don't have that emotional connection with him, you, you, you're, you're cheering him on with what he's trying to achieve, which is, like Andrew said, this very dark yeah. period in American history. Um, but... In, Despite all that, the pace of the film is very fast, but the dialogue is very heavy and technical. So they use a lot of technical mm. words and there's a lot of legal jargon in there, which does make it um, a, a difficult but enjoyable watch. Adam Driver plays Daniel Jones and he answers only to the Senate Intelligence Committee, chiefly Annette Benning, um, who plays Senator. <laughs> I am the Senate. <laughs> Senator Diane Feinstein. Um, she was actually nominated, Andrew, for a best performance by an actress in a supporting role at the Golden Globes. Um, Annette Benning's nominated, yeah. Adam Driver isn't. Um, I think that's because Adam Driver's likely to be um, nominated for Marriage Story. The interesting thing about this yeah. film, though, is they show you this crazy enhanced interrogation. And to me, it almost feels like they're not trying to interrogate these people, but they're almost trying to torture them as a, as a, an element trying to get revenge for those nine 11 attacks. I don't know if you got that same vibe that they weren't really trying to get information out of them more punish them. Yeah. I think in that respect, that's why I think this is quite an important story to tell. Cause I think this, this was a, a you know, well-documented issue for many years. And obviously I didn't have a clue about the, the, the actual extent of it. Mm. And obviously the film is very clear in, in, in its message. And obviously, as you said, um, showing all those forms of, of in, well, enhanced interrogation quote. Um, so in that sense, it, it's extremely informative. And mm. that's why I think it's a very interesting film. That's why I enjoyed it. Yeah. And and the, 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 the real crux of the issue is the fact of does so there's one thing justifying using these interrogation methods but do they actually work and i shouldn't laugh but there's one man in this film that is waterboarded 183 times my god yeah now that <laughs> that that is not in essence funny but the reason it's slightly and they do put a very dark humored twist on it because the senator actually says senator feinstein simply asks if, if if this works, why did they need to do it 183 times? You know, and it, and it, and it's that very blunt, dark humour of you know, if something works, you're going to think one or two or three times. But this man yeah. is waterboarded 183 times, and you know, I'm not an expert on enhanced interrogation. Um, <laughs> it, it, watching it, it was like some sort of bizarre episode of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Um, you know, with with the insects and stuff like that, but. I think, I think it was important. I think it was important to show that, though. Yeah, I think absolutely. It, it was. It was a. You know, they had to show that in the film to show how ridiculous it was, and I think that's mm. how it gets its message home about how ludicrous these methods were, and how yeah. you know, if you did do it 180 times, of course you just lie. You just yeah. you just make something up to, yeah. to make them stop. Yeah. Um, I mean, it resulted in a 7,000-page report, um, which Adam Driver's character battles to get made public. It goes back to, I think it's the CIA, and literally they, they cross out in black any things they don't like, and Adam Driver gets 7,000 pages back of literally nothing. They've just scribbled it all out, names, dates, locations, um, and it just goes to show that, you know, America call themselves the land of the free and the home of the brave, but like Andrew said, this was a very, very dark period for American history. They were basically torturing people and not 
let's let's have it right. Not necessarily terrorists either. Mm. A lot of these people, and I think up to a hundred people died um, when I had looked in my research. You know, we don't know whether these people were terrorists, and the Geneva Convention's there for a reason, because you know Americans, if they ever get detained, will want to be treated with human rights. And at the end of the day, if the Americans are going around doing this, it doesn't set a very good precedent for other countries. Um, for me, Andrew, I'm going to go out there and say that I thought this was hard-hitting, rigorous, heavy, um, but really, really riveting. I just found it a thoroughly interesting story. Like you said, a bit more emotional connection with Adam Driver would have been helpful, I think. Maybe just five or ten minutes side story, um, just to get a bit more emotional connection with him. So overall, for you, um, the report, was it worth it? Yes, it was. it was definitely worth it. Brilliant. I think um, that... anything else yeah. to expand on that or? No, I think, as you said, it's very hard hitting, but it's testament to Adam Driver and his acting ability uh, to carry it so well and make it interesting, even though if it was another actor, it potentially couldn't have been as fast paced and as riveting as, as you said. Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, so there you have it, guys. The report, which is currently available on Amazon Prime, uh, worth it for me and also worth it for our special guest and my brother, <laughs> Andrew Long. Well, that was a, a great review, guys. I, I obviously haven't seen the report, hence why I was completely silent yeah, for most Craig, of that review. Craig, Craig didn't die during the no, uh, no, no. the uh, the review there. I was just being the producer in the background, just nodding and agreeing and listening mm. intently. But I would thoroughly recommend not only our our listeners to watch it, but yourself as yeah, well. Yeah, no, Craig. no, I, really I will definitely, I'll definitely get on that over the Christmas period when I have some availability to, to <laughs> catch up. Such a busy on. man. I had too too busy, too busy. Uh, we're going to move on now to Marriage Story, uh, which is currently on Netflix and it sees a stage director Charlie and his actor wife Nicole struggle through a grueling coast-to-coast divorce that pushes them to their personal and creative extremes with their son Henry in the middle of this dispute. So this is directed by Noah Bumbach, uh, who is the director of Greenberg um, and the Merowitz uh, stories, new and selected in brackets there, uh, which stars uh, Ben Stiller in both of those films. So uh, Noah has worked with Ben Stiller on a lot of films, um, and these the, the those last two were probably some of his best work, I think. However, Marriage Story has now arrived, and I think this is down as probably one of his finest pieces of work uh, to date. Uh, David, you like to kick off? Yeah, I think you make a good point about it being one of his best pieces of work. Um, I mean, critically, 95%. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. It also gets an audience score of 83%. Uh, but I think the key thing for this, going into the Oscar race as well, is looking at the amount of Golden Globe nominations it got. Six Golden Globe nominations, including Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture, Drama, Scarlett Johansson, Best Performance by an Actor, by an Actor, by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Drama, Adam Driver. Laura Dern also picks up a nomination for Supporting Actress. And as well as that, it gets nominated for Best Screenplay, Best Original Original score and best motion picture drama. Um, and in terms of the score, the score is actually by uh, Randy Newman. And yeah, I thought this film was brilliant. And what I loved about it was the start. It had this wonderful beginning where um, Adam Driver's character just starts by saying, What I love about Nicole is. And he lists off all these things that he loves about Nicole. But then what we realize is that he's had to, he's actually had to write this for marriage therapy. 
So you have that amazing high of all the things he loves about his wife and then that immediate crash to reality when we realise that their marriage is actually in turmoil. Yeah, so uh, what I will just interject here with that is that it's both of them doing the same thing. So yeah. they both have written these these uh, lovely letters almost to each other about what they love about each other. However, when you finally realise and you come out of this opening sequence mm. is that they're both in this marriage marriage therapy and it's actually Nicole who is refusing to read mm. This, this this letter that we've seen as an audience, but yeah. Adam Driver's character, Charlie, has not. Yes. And then it is from that point onwards that we realise that everything is descending into chaos. They are separated at this moment mm. in time and everything is 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 going into chaos. But where it is where it lies or where it starts off with it, it could be amicable it slowly descends into non-amical, amicable, I can't even talk today, um, proceedings and mm. it, it, it becomes quite messy, quite yeah. messy indeed. Um, I'm going to say that I absolutely love this movie. Yeah, It is so raw and so emotionally driven, but also so humorous as well with, yeah. with so many different elements that come from so many of the supporting cast as well as the, the, the main cast with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Both impeccable actors um, and at the top of their game at the moment. Um, Andrew, what did you think? I really, really love this film. Um, For me, it's one of the best films of 2019. Um, I think it's up there with Joker. Um, I think for me, because on the whole, it's a relatively simple plot, but the thing that makes it so amazing is this complex relationship between um, Driver and, and Johansson. Um, which, as you said, they both give fantastic uh, performances. Um, and, of course, the supporting actors as well, Laura Dern and Ray Liotta, yeah. um, when they come into the story, they're both excellent as well. And, mm. obviously, Laura Dern has got a nomination, um, which is, again, uh, justified. Um, and, yeah, the writing's phenomenal. I think mm. this will definitely have a shot for um, Best Original Screenplay um, at the Oscars as well, um, just because it's so even-handed. I think it's... Is one of those rare kind of films where you you don't really pick a side. You kind of see both characters and what and what they're going through, and you can empathise with both. Um, and I think that's testament to his writing. Uh, there's no villain; it's even-handed. Um, but as you said, it's a beautiful film. Um, but yet, funny. I mean, Adam Driver again has, has a lot of <laughs> comedy talent, as, as well as um, Scarlett Johansson as well. And uh, obviously, at the moment, it seems like Adam Driver is in every single film. Yeah. Um, um, it's good to see his, his, his diversity, mm. considering the difference of this character um, to the character he plays in the report. Um, yeah. And, he's, well, they've both definitely got a shot um, for Best Actor and Actress at the awards, it just just depending on Joaquin Phoenix, I suppose. Mm. Um, but that's, an, that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I think I think Adam Driver at the minute is is one of the most talked about actors mm. at, at this point in time, but because of a the report, definitely because of Marriage Story and because of Star Wars at the minute when he's playing. And he was Kylo in Black Ren. Klansman, where he was brilliant as well last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also he was in the news very recently because of uh, an interview that he was conducting. Um, yeah, Andrew was telling me about. Yes, yeah, so he walked out of an interview uh, because they decided to play a clip of him uh, within a, within one of the films that. Uh, uh, they were interviewing him about and it's because he doesn't like to watch himself back or hear himself back or anything like that. And he'd already said, gone into the interview saying, I don't like mm. doing this. 
Um, but they still played the clip and he nonetheless walked out of it. Yeah, you were explaining a bit to me about that, Andrew. From an actor's perspective, why why do... I know I think um, Johnny Depp's the same. Why do some actors choose to keep away from any audio or visual of their performances? I guess from an outside perspective, it might seem is quite a a pretentious thing to, to do that. However... Even though actors can, are, you know, on the whole, can come across as extremely confident people, they can get on stage and go on talk shows. A lot of actors are very insecure. I think that's one of the main reasons they go into acting because they're becoming someone else. They're investing their their whole being in, into another character. Um, and yeah, I mean, any any time I listen back to anything I've done before, even it be a self tape or any any TV lessons we did, I find it extremely cringeworthy. It's only because you don't look at the things you've done well. You always think of the things you've missed. Mm. And I guess if you're, if you are Adam Driver and you've received fantastic reviews, you've got yourself a Golden Globe nomination. You're looking to get your second Academy Award nomination. You know he doesn't need to watch it back. Mm. And you know he, if he does watch it back, it, it's just going to be uncomfortable for him. So I, you know, I can think is if he wants to walk out, that that's absolutely fine. That's still, that's his stance on it. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is this is the 10th feature from writer-director Noah Baumbach, um, probably his most personal, um, actually inspired by his own divorce um, in 2010. And you spoke a little bit there about the supporting actors and actresses, uh, Laura Dern and Ray Liotta. I just think the lawyers add such a sinister element into this film, making the whole thing more messy, more complicated and more difficult to watch. I thought Laura Dern was superb, but I've got to give a big shout out to Ray Liotta's character. I found him absolutely hilarious. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah. He was just completely <laughs> psychotic and so driven by the law. Like emotion. To, like he was like a, a piece of lead, like completely emotionless, just ob- obsessed with the law and basically getting the best result for Adam Driver. And that just made the whole thing so much more messy. Yeah. No, no, I completely agree. And it was it was such a good watch, wasn't it? The entire yeah. film as a whole. It, there is no bit that I will critique that would be an awful thing uh, to report about the film. It, mm. It's all so well shot. It's got a brilliant soundtrack. Every element to it has mm. been really meticulously done and and I I love this movie. Yeah, and it feels like a piece of theatre as well. There's that one scene where we're in Charlie's sparse LA apartment mm. uh, and we have um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson going at each other. Um, Andrew, you must have been impressed by that scene. Yeah, one thing I was going to say is one of the first things I thought after watching is this could easily be a stage play. Yeah. It... it, it, it it screams it could be put on put on a stage just because you have those wonderful, wonderful um, scenes between um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, which unfortunately has been turned into a meme now on Twitter. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> oh. Everything's a meme. Um, um, but no, that scene is, is so powerful um, and it's amazing. And they, I think it's the chemistry between the two actors. And I think when you see it you can see it and it's very strong because there's a lot of films where you can tell the actors don't have that connection but those two definitely do mm. um and they must have they must have rehearsed the scene so much must have done over 100 takes for that scene um it's emotionally raw and it's again i've i've rewatched it a few times just that just that scene mm. um or those scenes um so yeah brilliant brilliant stuff 
does anyone else have anything to add? Any other notes that they'd like to talk about with Marriage Story? Not or, really. I think we've I think we've covered it all. I, I think, think we can. We I think can we crack on well. with the questions. So I'll, we'll start off with you, Andrew. Did you think uh, Marriage Story was worth it? Yes, one hundred percent. One of the films of the year for me. Wow, David. Yeah, look, um, what I loved about this film is it manages to somehow be a thriller, a comedy and a romance. Uh, it's tender, hard hitting. Uh, it's, it's a real emotional roller coaster, um, but one that is well worth the ride. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend watching Marriage Story and look out for Johansson and Driver and Marriage Story um, for best picture and best. Scre- I think it's got a huge shout for best screenplay at the mm. Academy Awards. It's a brilliant film. Netflix have, have, have done everything and beyond that they could have done with this film, 100% worth watching it. Yeah, uh, same for me. I mean, I've got in my notes here, it's it's comedically funny, it's emotionally charged, it's dramatic, it's forgiving, it's everything from the point of view of a relationship that's turned sour and you really get a sense of being like almost a fly on the wall almost for this performance. Um, and I think Noah's outdone himself here with this one. Um, and the previous film that he did as well is also available on Netflix as well if you want to to watch that. And that's the Merowitz stories, which has Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Emma Thompson as well. It's a really great cast and it's a really good film as well if you want to watch some more of Noah's uh, past catalogue of uh, of movies. Um, Andrew, this is where we say goodbye, isn't it? I believe yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> yeah, maybe. We're, we're all just looking at each other going, is it? Yeah, so there you go. Three for three. Three people say it's worth it. Um, Andrew, it's great to have you on the show. We will definitely have you back. Thank you very much for Thank joining us. And uh, I will probably see you tomorrow. Um, I'm looking forward yes. to a wonderful turkey dinner on Christmas Day. <laughs> bring, bring monster. I, I shall see you tomorrow and I shall be seeing The Rise of Skywalker for the second time. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing tomorrow evening. Excellent. Enjoy that. Brilliant. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks very much for having, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you. See you later. Bye-bye. So that was Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, again. Uh, just to push things forward a little bit now, it's time for the king. Oh, we have some music going on in the background here. We probably shouldn't have that playing. Let's stop that. That's the that's the wonders of a of a live one take show. A little bit of music in the background. There you go, folks. You have a bit of classical music. Craig is a big fan of Max Richer. classical music. Yeah, I look. I I really enjoyed having my brother on. That was um, good, wasn't it? Yeah, really good. So thank you very much, Andrew, for coming on. Uh, and like Craig said, we are now going to go into our third review on Cinema at Home, episode three. Craig. Well, this is the king, uh, and the king sees Timothy Charlemagne play how a wayward prince and reluctant heir to the English throne. Uh, he's turned his back on royal life and is living among the people. But when his tyrannical father dies, how is crowned King Henry V and is forced to embrace the life he had previously tried to escape. Now, the young king must navigate the palace politics, chaos and war his father left behind and the emotional strings of his past life, including his relationship with his closest friend and mentor, the aging alcoholic knight John Faustoff, who's played by Joel Egerton. Uh, we'll kick off this review by saying that this is, again, another Netflix production uh, and is available to stream right now, and it's directed by David Mitchell. David, what did you first think of this film when you started watching it? Um, so it had a very slow beginning yes. and a really heavy pace, Wonderfully powerful words, very Shakespearean. This was a port and cheese board film. <laughs> this was very, very heavy. Have some port, smoke a pipe, yeah. you know, maybe have some Plato or Aristotle books nearby. Um, that was engaging, 
Um, but it had this very dark and almost gothic feel to it. Yeah. Um, and I will come on um, later to to some of the downfalls of that in the sense that it is quite difficult. For a Netflix film, um, it is quite difficult to get into. But in terms of the performances, starting with Timothy Chalamet, I thought this was a different side to him that we that we I've seen before. A much more reserved, hard-hitting, and very mature performance because his character's quite off the rails at the start of the film. Um, and it does play heavily on the exaggerated accounts of Henry's wayward youth. Uh, the representation of Henry as an able military leader is, however, far more um, accurate. But we do start with that wayward youth. Um, and this guy that has real, not only no interest in the monarchy, but you were explaining to me, he's almost not against the monarchy, but he's certainly not pleased with what his father is is up to no so he is someone who wants reform uh he wants the politics to change and he's almost somebody who in history definitely uh marched on uh, uh his 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 father who actually wasn't supposed to be king he usurped or usurped um the, the previous king i think it was charles possibly i can't remember it was his cousin anyway nonetheless and um so he wasn't actually technically supposed to mm. be king and there is a great scene within the film where the French princess uh, tells uh, how, or the King of England now at this point, that you know all all uh, kings and stuff are illegitimate to the <laughs> throne essentially because none, no one, no everyone's sort of killed each other or, yeah. or usurped people or, or whatever and overthrown the past kings. And historically, this film is is accurate to some extent. Yeah. There is some inaccuracies. But I didn't care about that, to be honest no. with you, because the thing, the whole, the whole production was so dramatic and it was so dark and it was, it was gory as well, but in a good way. Yeah, it was so good at portraying what we were seeing on the screen. Like it, it felt so real, and I think the performances were testament to that as well. Joel Edgerton bringing this fantastic, you know. One, at one minute a, a comical performance but yeah. then also such a deep profound man yeah. that has lived such a life and it it was it was just fantastic a real battle hardened wise yet foolish warrior yeah so <coughs> i do apologize i've got a bit of a cold um so wise and strong and mindful when it comes to battle, but foolish when it comes to, you know, his private life. Yeah. But w what the film does focus on, and it's probably its best part, is the film em uh, um, emphasises Henry's crowning glory, which is the Battle of Ashincourt in northern France that occurred in 1415 during the Hundred Years' War, in which the combined Welsh and English army, led by Henry V, defeated... Um, the French army. Now, historically, uh, Henry's men were greatly outnumbered, but in just under two and a half hours, they had overwhelmed the French army. Now, I delved into a little bit of history here. To What does outnumbered mean? Well, some historians say that there were three English soldiers to every four French soldiers. Others say that there was one English soldier for every six French soldiers. Yeah, so, so I looked this up as well, and 
uh, what was uh, there was, a, there was a little bit of behind the scenes with Netflix, and they said in this battle they had dug up the evidence possibly that there was about twenty thousand Frenchmen to eight thousand five hundred odd Englishmen. Yeah, what a battle that was. Yeah, and it was all very tactical, and it was the decision to for the for the English and the Welsh to remove their heavy armor. It became a real battle in a bog, um, northern France, very wet. Um, and also the archers of the English army and and the Welsh as well had a massive impact in winning this battle. Um, I mean, I I thought the battle scene was very very messy, but brilliantly messy. So it looked like a genuine battle. Oh it, yeah. To me, it looked like the director got a couple of thousand geezers in a field, stuck a load of armor on them, and said, "Let's be avenue." Um, <laughs> Basically, you yeah. know, and and crack on. So there was none of that. You know, when you watch some battles, some sword fights, you think that's clearly two trained professionals, very cleverly just mixing each other with a sword or or fighting in a very stage you know Andrew for example is actually qualified in stage combat so he can oh, wow. he, he can use a, st- a sword on stage and he'll tell you when you're doing that it's all very safe and it, it looks real but you know it's not yeah so it's all very choreographed yeah choreographed whereas this just looked like a load of men having a go at each other and that really really worked one thing I did want to come on to mm. was Robert Pattinson's performance right okay yeah Bizarre, wasn't it? It was, um, but also brilliant. I thought. <sighs> I thought he 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 portrayed a Frenchman in such a bizarre. <laughs> I and... mean, let's have let's talk about his accent. Firstly, was that on? I mean, I'm. I mean, I've been to France a few times. So I've never met a Frenchman that talks like that. Well, I mean, he was speaking English for the majority of the of the. Yes, but his French accent was incredibly over the top. Yeah, you 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 are right. It and it sounded like Monty Python. Your father is a hamster and your mother smelled of elderberries or whatever, or it was the other way around. Yes, I think it's that. Your mother is a hamster, hamster and your, your father, father smells of elderberries. elderberries. It reminded me a little bit of that. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> what some, I mean? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, he really wasn't the main part of the film, though. You know, yeah. I thought Ben Mendelsohn, who played uh, Henry the Fourth, was it? Must have been Henry the Fourth. Yes. Um, and uh, he he was fantastic. He was he was a real monster, and he was a, he was dying. Yeah. He was you know um, he just portrayed this hideous king who had mm. basically gone mad, and the only person who could see that him for what he was was Timothy Charlemagne's character Hal, his son. But history also showed us something else. So mm. Henry the Fourth made uh, um, uh, Henry's son Hal go into battle from about thirteen years old. So he was knighted at about thirteen. So he was leading battles all of his life, pretty much from a very young yeah. age. Which is testament to why he knows so much about battle and how he's done so well with the battles. I don't think they portrayed that so well on in this movie. I don't. I think they kicked it off with him being, you know, very reluctant to take up anything to do with the royal uh, uh, nature of the business. Essentially, you know, yeah. he 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 wants nothing to do with it. He lives among the people. But the reality is, he was a commander. He was knighted. Mm. He commanded armies at thirteen for his father. Yeah, didn't really show us that. It did. You did get that element of that later in the film. You got a sense that maybe yeah. he did, but like I said, very they, clever. They really emphasized his wayward youth. You know, you see him intoxicated a lot, and various women coming out of his chamber. 
um, and which probably isn't strictly true. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a historian and I'm certainly not an expert of no. this cu- particular period in history. Another thing that I would say with the list of the cast in front of us here, Sh- Sean Harris, I thought he gave a, a, a really good performance. He plays one of the king's advisors or one of the people closest to the king. He spoke in a very quiet voice that was quite difficult to listen to. And that is one of my criticisms of this film. Some of the audio, some of the aesthetics it's difficult to understand what they're saying it's in this shakespearean language which can make it difficult but it's a bit of mumbling and it's quite quiet and that took me out of the film a little interesting bit. i didn't find that Did I, you not? I found no i found the uh the the voices of the actors and um the the, the audio quality to be quite Fine. I, I I don't know if that's maybe your audio system, but you've got a great audio system, yeah. so I don't know actually. But um, no, I found it. I found it easy to understand. I I have a mind for Shakespeare almost, and yeah, I can you love I can I do, and I do I can understand lines that people might have to read like two or three times before they understand its true meaning behind it. I don't know why. I, I my brain is just automatically fixed for that sometimes, but um, I seem to understand what was going on quite easily, and I didn't seem to find that much mumbling but again as you said Sean Harris I thought he was brilliant as William um, and he really gave a great performance especially uh, the the one scene around the table where they were arguing about a specific person being set free but uh, uh, Henry the fourth would not do it yeah Anyway, I think we've rambled on a little bit too much, don't you? I, I, I think that was a good review for myself. Well, I, yeah, I think it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but do you feel like it's now time to round this one up? Absolutely. Okay then, David. The King, is it worth it? Yes, I'm going to say it is worth it. For me, it's uh, stylish, it's beautifully shot and richly written, but the film is slightly weighed down by this sort of cold, dark and heavy atmosphere that can or did leave me, the audience member, just feeling a little bit cold and detached. But for a Netflix original, it's got a great cast. It's it, and it's it's definitely worth watching. I, I I would recommend watching it. Yeah, it's it's not it's not like Marriage Story where, where I can find almost no criticisms. I do have my issues with it. Like I said, it was a bit cold and dark, um, but nonetheless, definitely worth watching. Yeah. So my criticisms with the film is is pretty probably very much so similar to yours. But I really really enjoyed watching it. It's my kind of film. It's got a bit. It's got it's got everything. I like history, it's got the gore, it's got the fighting, it's got the action, it's got some great script writing, it's got the emotion, you know, it's got everything that yeah. I love about movies. Um, the only thing that I would also criticise maybe is its platform, where it is, Netflix. Mm. I, I want to watch this in the cinema. I think this would have been a fantastic cinema watch. Um, but nonetheless, if you've got a great TV and you've got a great sound system, I think you will enjoy it just make sure you turn your phone off so you can be immersed fully yeah you've got to be in this film you've got to to understand what's being said it is quite Shakespearean in some respects or they do speak in verse in in many respects and to understand that you need to give it your full attention absolutely I agree so yeah it's worth it Uh, so that was our review of The King indeed now we're going to move on to uh, a, a very interesting movie, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, so it's all started well. The report's worth it. Marriage story's worth it. The King's worth it. Now it's on to Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Michael Bay's new film. It's called Six Underground. Uh, and this film, well, here's my synopsis. What's the best part of being dead, David? 
Well, <laughs> it isn't escaping your boss, your ex, your, or even erasing your criminal record. The best part about being dead is the freedom. The freedom to fight the injustice and evil that lurk in our, in our world without anyone or anything to slow you down or tell you no. Six Underground introduces a new kind of action hero. Six individuals from all around the globe, each the very best at what they do, uh, have been chosen not only for their skills, but for the unique desire to delete their past and to change the future. The team is brought together by an enigmatic leader, Ryan Reynolds, whose sole mission in life is to ensure that while he and his fellow operatives will never be remembered, their actions damn sure will. Uh, yep. So that is the incredibly long synopsis of this uh, movie, and it should give you a pretty good idea that this is uh, a, a, an action-packed movie uh, from beginning to end. Uh, Michael Bay, of course, is best known for blowing stuff up mm. and uh, continues that tradition with Six Underground. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where to start with this film, so I'll start in my traditional way by giving some Rotten Tomato score. It gets a pretty solid 65% from the audience, and I actually think it's a get, it gets a very generous 36%. Uh, score from the critics because I certainly would have given it much lower than 36%. Mm. What can I say about this film? Well, it has a completely mental first 20 minutes that um, revolves around this elaborate car chase. And when I say elaborate, it's one of the most ridiculous car chases I've ever seen just in yeah. terms of the over-the-top nature. We've got slow motion, we've got sped-up motion, we've got sideways motion, we've got so much motion going on. And then cars are just disappearing into thin air by blowing themselves yeah. up into and and poles dropping onto grounds. People dying a really horrible deaths. Yeah, it's what? It's a completely erratic start. And I actually felt a little bit sick watching it. It's the most Michael Bay opening to any Michael Bay film um I've I've ever seen. I felt like I was watching Money Being Burnt. Um, from my memory, I think this film had a budget in the region of $150 million, which is an absolutely huge budget. It puts it online with The Irishman, for example. Uh, was I right with that? Yeah, $150 yeah. million, dollars, uh, $150,000 million, whatever dollars it is. It's a very lot of money. <laughs> and it is, it is, it does say here, estimated. Yeah, uh, so yeah. it could be more. So, yeah, estimated $150 million. And it was just like watching money being burnt. Now, I don't mind special effects. I enjoy special effects when they are needed. But in this, we had cars flipping over for no reason. We had things blowing up. We had uh, a helicopter in the air, and then we had shots from the helicopter. We had shots behind the helicopter. We had drone shots. We had... Th the, the cinematography was like someone on cocaine. It had this rapid camera movements, multiple angles, multiple shots, this very quick and sort of choppy edit... And it, it genuinely made me feel a little bit ill. Mm. Uh, I don't know what you thought of the first 20 minutes, but the bizarre thing about the first 20 minutes of this film is I I have some respect for Michael Bay in the sense that he nobody else other than Michael Bay could put an opening sequence like that together. Multiple camera shots, multiple angles. But for me, it doesn't work. You know, there's an element of respect for trying to do something on such a grand scale. Yes. But visually... You don't need it. No, no, no. Uh, Michael Bay is one of these directors who just l absolutely enjoys blowing stuff up. And he does it to an extent well, in the sense that all of the stunts go off 
well and nobody dies in real life um but otherwise <laughs> it's just too erratic it's just yeah. too much going on at once and it's it was the same with all of the transformers film and it does it just looks like a scene out of transformers but without the transformers yeah. just cars blowing up you've got that extra bit of like fireworks sparks that come off the vehicles when they blow up it was just doesn't look real or yeah. realistic it's even though it is a real stunt going on yeah. it doesn't look like an actual real life car tripping over yeah. rolling over kind of scenario and it does take you out of the film because you just know it's not real and yeah. there's no it doesn't warrant most of the things that happened in that first 20 minutes was not warranted yeah and the, and the problem you have with this very erratic and fast moving start is that you don't know any of the characters what bay does is he slowly using flashbacks and introduces the characters one by one and then we get to know them but we've got this car chase going on and we think well why is this happening there's no fear of loss we don't fear losing the characters and my oh excuse me no worries craig's also got a cold the, the thing that baffles me about this film is that it is a fairly simple plot. Like you said, these six people who are officially dead, but they're not dead. They're just ghosts is what they call themselves. And they're, you know, their their task is to capture and kill the, the, the bad guy. But Michael Bay somehow manages to make it more confusing than rocket science in Chinese. I was so confused throughout this um, film. I didn't really get it. And I, I've, I've, I've read a few other critics online saying, well, if you can't follow the plot, then you weren't watching it or you're not very smart. I could follow the plot, but it was at the same time, it was so unnecessary. We were in so many different locations around the world. No wonder it had a big bone, a uh, big, big budget budget. Yeah. I don't know what, <laughs> what I was going to say. Well, dear, oh dear. Um, no wonder it had a big budget because one minute you were in the UK and then you were here and then you were there and it was just all over the place. Um, and it also, like typical Michael Bay, it doesn't have much meaningful dialogue. At least in Pearl Harbor, there is dialogue. At least in um, Armageddon, as cheesy as it is, there is dialogue and there is some character investment. You know, Armageddon remains one of my guilty pleasures. Um, it's not a brilliant film, but you at least you care for the characters. I had no care for any of these characters no. whatsoever. I, I felt like, you know, usually Ryan Reynolds would bring forth a, a, a you know a really great performance that would enhance a film generally in this one i just felt like he was playing himself and having a, a, a great time playing himself oh, no doubt, and having yeah. fun on set but but and that translated to to me watching it but the story was so weak and the script was so weak that it just i didn't care mm. i just was like oh he's having fun shooting it oh, but it would be a right laugh being in this film but yeah Oh, no doubt. Watching it, it looked like it would have been a fantastic film to be involved in. And the strange thing is, is that Ryan Reynolds normally brings comedy to his films. Yeah. Um, and they did try, but I found the comedy in this really, really bad. It was awkward. Mm. It was never. It was never funny. It was just, oh. But okay. the one-liners didn't hit. No, exactly. So you've got... An action film where the action is too much. You've got very little meaningful drama. You've got comedy that doesn't really hit. You've got actors. Look, I think Ryan Reynolds is a fantastic actor, but you've got actors that appear to be there for the paycheck going along with what Michael Bay um, is directing, but they never really take themselves too seriously. And this is the problem. You can't take the film seriously. It's, it's too over the top and too ridiculous. Um, 
But the film is so mental and so bizarre that it might just satisfy the diehard Michael Bay fans. And like I said, it gets a 65% score on Rotten Tomatoes and I haven't got... Is that audience, sorry? That's audience score, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I haven't got other Michael Bay films up, but I imagine that's higher than some of his Transformers films. It's certainly higher than... Um, some of his other films in terms of critic scores, mm. but the audience give it 65%. So, you know, over 65% of the audience are saying this is a fresh piece of you cinema. Know, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't want to go out my way to watch this in the cinema at all. This would not be worth watching at, at the cinema, even with all the explosions. I think the plot is just too, too messy. Mm. I think the, the story, the script is just, just ridiculous. I think that 20 minute opening action scene may be, may be the best part about the film. Which is despite, a real shame. Despite it being absolutely ludicrous and, and ridiculous and does nothing for the film because all it does is trying to introduce these characters but kind of fails because none of them really know each other either anyway. Yeah. So you're not really showing us anything. So, okay, great, cool. We'll try and crack on with the next part of the film and um, you still learn nothing about them really. Very little. One of the last things I'll say about this film before we wrap up the review, I found this incredibly difficult to get through. Um, Same. So we, we, me and Craig have, well, Craig has a rule that we're not allowed to stop watching or walk out of a cinema. There's only, since doing this podcast, there's only been a couple of films that I've really wanted to walk out of. And I didn't necessarily want to walk out of this because I was in my own house. Uh, and, <laughs> sort of leave out your own front and, door. And, and that might have been a bit over the top. Right, that's it. I'm, I'm moving out. Um, <laughs> But I did want to turn it off. And I, I'm going to be honest, Craig, a little a little bit of truth here. I was tempted halfway through to turn it off and just tell you that I'd seen the whole thing. A little bit of truth here as well. I was very tempted to do the same, but not lie to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> I no. would have been furious. I, I, I when I messaged you and you, whatever happens, you must sit through this film. You, you made the rule. We will see it to the end and we will give a fair review. Well, you did tell me over Messenger, like I, I might turn this off. Yeah, I, I, I really struggled with it. And like I said, it's a, it's a combination of the over-the-top action, the ridiculous plot, the very poor screenplay. Yeah, you just can't invest with it. There's no connection, no nothing emotionally charged here whatsoever. So Michael Bay, well done on creating some great explosions, but yeah. even then, maybe not. And $150 million. We, mean, we, we were talking how much, what you could spend that on. We were yeah. like feeding the homeless, giving them shelter, building a homeless <laughs> shelter. You know, um, Cleaning up the oceans, saving up, the Amazon rainforest. You know, um, giving uh, women who are less fortunate um, sanitary products yeah. because you know not everyone has access to that sort of thing you know ridiculous amount of money to spend on a film that is just unnecessary and has no point to it yeah. whatsoever I mean if, if he's willing to invest 150 million in this film maybe we should contact Mr Bay yeah. on the, well actually I don't know if we could on the back of this I don't even think Michael Bay invested 150 million into this Netflix did Netflix did Netflix if you're listening give us 150 million you'll see what <laughs> we can do with that yeah imagine um, but anyway that that's enough of us on Six Underground Craig I know the answer but I'm going to ask you the question anyway Six Underground is it worth it? absolutely not David? For me, no. Uh, I thought it was pretty disastrous and one of the worst films I've seen this year. Um, however, if you are a Michael Bay fan, uh, why not give it a go? It is available to stream now on Netflix. Yeah, so if you've already paid your money for Netflix. And if you want to see just how bad it is, watch half an hour and then uh, turn it off. Yeah, and then that's your car scene done, isn't it? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so we're actually going to go to a little bit of an ad break now. That's right, Craig, because we just wanted to say if you are enjoying the podcast, then why not become a Patreon supporter? And to tell you a little bit more about that, here is two very special guys. <laughs> 
interrupt this broadcast or visit Worth It The Film Review Podcast for an important announcement. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would like to remind you that you can now become a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. This helps the podcast to continue to grow as well as offering the potential for bonus content and Is It Worth It merchandise. Your support helps the podcast stay alive. So why not become a Patreon supporter today? Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Is It Worth It podcast. That's right, uh, from those lovely guys, Craig and David, there in the uh, advert. Um, they're right. Uh, we do appreciate everything um, the mm. Patreon supporters have done so far. They have helped us uh, by encouraging us by saying some lovely words, but also by parting with their money. And it's it's always great when people see some potential in the things that you're working on and in mm. the projects that you're working on. And um, a big shout out to all of our uh, Patreon supporters currently on on there. And if you want to be a Patreon supporter, as you just heard in the uh, in, in the advert, head on over to the Patreon website forward slash Is It Worth It podcast and um, it will be really well received for sure i just want to second that a massive thank you to all our patreon supporters it's now time for our fifth review on this special episode of cinema at home with craig and david or craig david however you want to word it uh it is (laughs) dolomite is my name this is currently available to stream on netflix what is this film about you ask well stung by a string of showbiz failures floundering comedian rudy ray moore played by academy award nominee eddie murphy has an epiphany that turns into a word-of-mouth sensation. Step on stage as someone else. Borrowing from the street mythology of 1970s Los Angeles, Moore assumes the persona of Dolomite, a pimp with a cane and an arsenal of obscene fables. However, his ambitions exceed selling bootleg records deemed too racy for mainstream radio stations to play. Moore convinces a social giant, social-minded dramatist to write his alter ego a film incorporating kung fu, car tra- car crashes, and Lady Reed, an ex-backup singer who becomes his unexpected comedic foil. Will Rudy Ray Moore's gamble land, or will he lose it all? That is a very good question, and you'll have to find out the answer <laughs> by watching Dolomite Is My Name. Um, is that it? <laughs> yeah that's the review there you go go and watch it no um, I'm going hand solo on this Craig hasn't had quite enough time to see this yet and we'll kick straight off Craig with look at these Rotten Tomato scores critics give this a 97% score <laughs> wow um, which is a, a pretty much as high as you can go um, I think it's one of the highest I've seen in a long long time the audience backed that up with a really solid 91% and this uh, film hasn't gone unnoticed when it comes to award season either two Golden Globe nominations one for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. There are two categories in the Golden Globes. You've got the drama, whereas this gets nominated in the Musical or Comedy. And Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy for Eddie Murphy. Where am I going to start with this film? Well, the first thing I want to say about it is the production design in it is is just sensational. Um, It's visually sensational. You really feel like you've been transported into this era. It's a really vibrant film. It's fun. It's brash and it's really in your face it's a traditional Eddie Murphy role you Mm. know it's Eddie Murphy and he's here to entertain Um, and Eddie Eddie Murphy is great in this Craig Um, it's the perfect role for him 
He has this very flamboyant performance, but it also balances well a mixture of comedy and drama. So there are some really heartfelt um, moments in this. And it is a big, big performance from Murphy. Um, and one that hasn't been ignored by critics or award ceremonies. Like I said, he's got that nomination for um, Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. And there is Oscar buzz. I mean, the Best Actor category, there's going to be five people who are nominated. We'll talk a little bit more about that on our next episode of Road to the Oscars. But he's a genuine Oscar contender, and rightly so, um, because this is a feel-good film about the story of an underdog. He's this failing comedian that's really struggling to to make ends meet. And he has a real passion and desire for comedy and he wants yeah. to make people laugh and he wants to be successful and he wants to achieve something and it's just not working until he takes on this really brash, over-the-top, in-your-face persona of Dolomite. And it's just really... <laughs> it's, it, it, I won't say his catchphrase because it involves a swear word, but it's just really, I'm Dolomite and I'm here to entertain. And it's just like, wow, okay, Eddie Murphy is back. He's bringing... His A game. He hasn't done anything for a while that's really sold himself, has it? No, he's he's been quite quiet. And there's there's uh, coming to America too, or coming to America is in the uh, production line at the moment. Right. Okay. I thought coming to America is one of my favourite Eddie Murphy films. I think it's absolutely hilarious. But Murphy, he's funny, he's charming, and he's touching, and he plays this heroic yet flawed character. And he's this real people's person. Mm. Uh, and you see him, actually, as he start, starts to become more and more famous, that he he takes it back to the people and he wants to get it out there. And what he does, is, without too many spoilers, is he, he's ma- he, he makes enough money to, to be more than comfortable. But he wants to go that one step further. He wants Dolomite, the movie. And he wants to take this to the black communities all around America, not just in his hometowns or, or towns near him. And this captures that black 1970s community like i said the production design is brilliant the costumes are great it's just a really feel-good vibrant film um and i don't really have too much more to say about it i mean the critic score 97 percent says it all doesn't really really does speak for itself it's a film that i don't think it's as good as those scores if i'm honest oh right i i think i think it's a brilliant film don't get me wrong i just think 97 percent is is a bit too high for any film, really. I mean, there are films that can be um, up there with that kind of score. But what I'm saying is I really enjoyed this film. Maybe not quite as much as those as those um, scores would uh, reflect. But overall, yeah, I just... the it, To me, it felt very much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It had that feel. So was it very slow, a slow build-up? No, just in terms of the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in obviously it's, you... Uh, it's, you You've it's got mise that, en You've got that failing actor who's oh, okay. who's who's trying to better himself, and he's got his stunt double, and his career's not really going anywhere. Yeah, and that's the same as as Eddie Murphy's character here. And so would you say that it, it, it's as good as the the set design is as good as Once Upon a Time? It really embodied that era as, yeah. as much I mean, as one, Once Upon a Time did. Once Upon a Time was 1969. This was set sometime in the in the 1970s. So and and you're seeing a totally because it's the black community. You're seeing a totally different side of Los Angeles than you do in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hmm. But it's it visually it's really really impressive. I'm I'm somewhat surprised that this wasn't out in the cinema. I'm surprised that you know other it, companies it probably did have a very it small would have cinematic a, release yeah. and it would have been picked up more than likely by independent cinemas just like andrew said about uh mm. the the, the theatre company um uh, that's also a cinema 
chain of some sort, well, not a chain, but a cinema, independent cinema as well. Yeah. Um, they probably would have picked it up. It, they, it, 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 the, the larger cinema chains will not pick up anything to do with Netflix, really, because of how quickly the turnaround is. Yeah, I know, but that's what I'm saying. I'm surprised this was a Netflix production. I'm surprised a, 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 another company didn't get hold of this. Mm. Because when you... I mean, the script is great, and the direction's good. It's got a really good cut and it's just a very clever film um and what it does it does very well the comedy hits but when they have those moments of drama and because it, it's so brash and in your face and loud when you actually come down to earth and eddie yeah. murphy's character gives you some heartfelt words yeah they really hit home and yeah overall for me this this is a film that is really worth streaming it's something very very different it's quite unique it's quite quirky and it's a feel good film uh, and it's and it's the kind of film that I would uh, I would really recommend people um jump onto Netflix and watch Great stuff. Um, I will definitely be watching that yeah. at some point. I, I especially over the Christmas period there's going to so be some different. some downtime for me for Yeah. Me. But yeah, no, looking forward to to watching that, especially on the back of that review, David. Thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. Um, we're going to move on to our final review, um, yeah. which is The Two Popes. Mm. Um, I've literally only just watched this a number of hours ago before recording this episode. Mm. Um, so my, I, I have some, some, some notes already as well, uh, ready to go. So The Two Popes, anyway, what is the film about? Well, it frustrated with the direction of the church. Cardinal Bergoglio, I've got that completely wrong. David, say it for me. <laughs> Cardinal Bergoglio. <laughs> Cardinal Bergoglio. Bergoglio. <laughs> Italiano, come I'm, on, Craig. I'm, sorry, I'm so tired. Well, he's played by Jonathan Price, <laughs> and he requests the permission to retire in 2012 uh, from Pope Benedict, played by Anthony Hopkins. Instead, facing scandal and self-doubt, the introspective Pope Benedict summons his harshest critic and future successor to Rome to reveal a secret that would shake the foundations of the Catholic Church. Now, behind the Vatican walls, a struggle commences between both tradition and progress, guilt and forgiveness, as these two very different men confront their pasts in order to find common ground and forge a future for a billion followers around the world. Now, we'll kick off this review by saying that it's written, first of all, by Anthony McCartan. Now, this is a very interesting writer because um, he worked, first of all, on the theory of everything so mm. he wrote that in 2014 and that went on to win one oscar nominated for for numerous other awards during the season uh, but then followed by that uh, we had darkest hour which he also wrote and that was in 2017 and that won two oscars and then following on from that we had bohemian rhapsody in 2018 which had mm. won four oscars and now in 2019 we have the two popes uh, so that's a very interesting fact i think because yeah, that's great you know does that mean that this film could follow suit? Well, you know what? I hope so. Mm. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, don't give too much about no, the review exactly. away. I, I bloody well hope uh, so. <laughs> yeah. um, it's directed by Fernando uh, Mireles, uh, who is a, a wonderful director, uh, especially on the back of watching this movie. I think he's done a superb, superb job. Mm. Um, so the movie, then, let's get down to the basics here. It's a very documentary-style biopic. It mixes archi um, archival footage with some very beautiful cinematography uh, within some flashbacks as well. And it, it's completely fresh and very mm. unconventional in regards to, to a biopic that we've seen before. Um, it, it was a very pleasant watch, one that I was very unexpected yep. uh, in, in, in having uh, the pleasure of seeing, simply because I didn't think I'd like the subject matter whatsoever mm. what about you 
I totally agree. Yeah, like I said to you, two old white dudes talking about Jesus doesn't exactly <laughs> sound like enthralling viewing on on Netflix. But but like you, and um, before I go fully into the into the rest of my review, I was just blown away by this film. Mm. I really, really was. It's it has so much to say in such a brilliant way. It's mm. so sharp and witty, but also delicate and Heartfelt, dramatic yeah. and emotional it's it's got so much in it um it's very engaging as well something i was very surprised to to have seen and i think that is reflected in the performances mm. i think uh, anthony hopkins and and especially jonathan price really embody their characters that they are portraying on the screen and they do so in such a way that it's it's almost like watching them for real and i think after well, afterwards after watching the film i went onto youtube i had a look at the characters that they were portraying and who they were a little bit more and they really captured that essence yeah. superbly um and 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 price was just i think sensational in the role probably better than anthony hopkins mainly yeah. because i think it focuses on him a little little bit more um it's a very political movie as well yeah. and not in a a way where you are pressured to 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 watch the politicalness unfold it's political because it is necessary so the role of the pope is to be a world leader uh, and he is an unmovable leader because when they are um brought in to to be the pope he he is to be the pope until he dies basically and then they bring in the next one um so for this movie to reveal what so many people kind of already know anyway um so we we won't say it for those who haven't mm. got an idea i didn't have an idea what what was going on here um it's a real revelation yeah. as as to how it unfolds and and superbly done yeah like you said craig you were talking about its potential come uh, award season when it's already been nominated for four golden globes best performance by an actor in a motion picture Drama, Jonathan Price. Best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a motion picture, Anthony Hopkins. So it is supporting then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it also gets a Best Screenplay nomination and a Best Motion Picture Drama nomination. So it's been nominated as a Best Motion Picture Drama screenplay and obviously the two acting awards so i'd like to see this win editing now i thought the editing mm. in this movie was really 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 good now if bohemian rhapsody can win uh editing at the oscars um i think this is going to be one that stands out hugely i think the way it's the way it's edited it's very fast paced but very documentary style mm. it mixes this wonderful you know, black and white um, past yeah, imagery oh, that was so beautifully shot, but then fades into colour as well when yeah. you get this vivid understanding of that the fact that he's reached the conclusion of the story that he's kind of regurgitating. And then he's also, you know, you, they mix the archival footage. I already mentioned that, but the way they mix it in is really, really good. So there's mm. actual footage that is mixed in with acting footage mm, it's, made it's to genius. look archival. And it's like, wow. Brilliant. Like you said, I, I I went into this film. I say went into this film. I was in. I actually watched this in bed on my iPad. But um, <laughs> um, I I wasn't expecting. I was expecting it to be heavy and dry. I'd heard good things, but I was just blown away. There's such magical moments of comedy in here. There's real emotion. I choked up a little bit a few times in this film. Mm. Um, as you know, I'm I'm a Christian man myself. I'm not Catholic. If I had to tick a box, it would be Church of England. But I just found the the way they delved into the the history of the Catholic Church, the way the uh, election of the Pope works. Fascinating. I loved um, 
the 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 two popes use of scripture obviously that would have meant more to me than it would to you i love yeah. that how they incorporated that into the the battles they were having uh, i loved um the 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 use of prayer in it i loved how they were humbling themselves before god uh, i loved seeing these two christian brothers having this battle because whatever you think of the pope or the catholic church for one man to be the head of that church and to believe whether you think he is or not is the chosen one from god god Mm. representative on earth that like you said as well a billion followers around the world is a massive weight on anyone's shoulders and it was just wonderful the dialogue was great the script was superb the cinematography was great the flashbacks were just mesmerizing uh, jonathan price we saw him in the wife i thought he was brilliant in that yep. but this is i i feel for him a bit really because in many other years i think this would be a major contender for a, a best actor win yep. but obviously he's going to be going up against the likes of adam driver Joaquin phoenix in joker Robert De Niro. Well, De Niro's been snubbed a little bit. Do you think? So, yeah, he. I think he received a Critics' Choice Award, but he was completely ignored by the Golden Globes, mm, um, which is which is quite interesting. But the act... Look, the script is brilliant. The cinematography is brilliant. The acting is brilliant. The subject matter is intriguing. It is, without doubt, one of my favourite films of 2019, and I really do mean that. Bold statement, but I think I tend to agree with that you already. Know, wh- where where would it go in my top ten? I'm struggling to form this top ten because we've seen all of the films, including the bad ones, so you, the listener, don't have to. <laughs> but it's certainly going to be in there because yeah. I was just so blown away by it. It gets a very solid 89% from the critics uh, and 86% from the audience, uh, and rightly so. This was a fantastic piece of filmmaking. I... I am surprised in some senses in the way that the streaming services are taking hold this year. There are three potential films going up in the Oscars from Netflix mm-hmm. in in The Two Popes, Marriage Story, The Irishman. Yep. Is there any more? Uh for Best Picture, that that's probably their three their three main contenders, yeah. Which is more than last year. Yeah, with Roma. With Roma and and it's it's an unmovable force now that that streaming service services are taking over now with the inclusion mm-hmm. of Apple TV Plus now as, as well, uh, with their homemade productions, which is just completely filled with homemade mm-hmm. productions. Um, Amazon Prime as well with the Aeronauts. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got a lot going on now with streaming services. It's it's completely changing the field of filmmaking. It's probably changing the field of filmmaking in the sense that piracy must be going down as well because mm. to stream these play you know you're paying a couple of pounds a month really in theory what is it 4.99 netflix something ridiculous package. you can you know for a very small amount of money you can stream that film as many times as you want it like purchasing it yeah and you can watch an unmitigated you know number of other films <laughs> just the pope back to back the back yeah. two popes <laughs> But it's true, though, isn't it? Like, you know, so piracy is being lowered. It's changing the whole film industry. Yeah. Whether it's doing it in a positive for a po- in a positive way, but there are some downsides to it, unfortunately. And I think that it, it, the whole po- this whole podcast is about is it worth it seeing it in the cinema? Now, I hope it doesn't mm. spoil that because I think the cinema is the place to see a lot of these movies. I think the two popes would have been sensational oh, in there, brilliant, yeah. especially with the the, the flashback, seeing that oh, in the gorgeously shot. I think that would have been sensational in a cinema. 
Um, the same with some of the other things that we've reviewed already on today. You know, Marriage Story would have been beautifully seen in, in the cinema. The King as well. Mm. Um, Six Underground, pff, no. Um, <laughs> but definitely, definitely the rest of those movies would have been sensational to have seen mm. in, in the cinema. But do you know what? I've noticed more on Facebook from non-film buffs or non-film goers like me, people talking about films like Marriage Story, like The Irishman, and, and even The Two Popes, and people saying, wow, I just... And unfortunately, Six Underground, I've seen a few people on Facebook, oh, what a great film. Um, <laughs> idiots. I mean, no, it's their <laughs> I'm opinion. I'm, and they I'm are joking, entitled. I'm joking. Um, but... Yeah, it's it. If this engages people with film, and this segment of the podcast is cinema at home. Now, I'm not quite sure. I watched the two popes in a cinema at home. Like I said, I watched it in bed on an iPad. But that's the great in bed at home. Yeah, in bed at home. Is it <laughs> worth it? So it? Might be a completely different podcast altogether. Yeah. But um, no, but. To, to have a film of this quality and to be able to watch it when you want it, where you want it, I think it can only be good for the film industry. It's, it is and it isn't, unfortunately. I think the cinema is the place to go and see movies. But as you said, it is engaging a larger audience. So mm. it has its pros and it has, it, has its cons. And I still think people go enjoy going to the cinema and it's still considered a I mean before we started doing this podcast I would go to see big blockbusters in the cinema well um, yeah I mean you would probably go and see 1917 for instance mm. when that comes out because that appeals to you but you wouldn't go necessarily maybe go to see some of the other films that you might have watched on Netflix you mm. might not have gone to see The King you may not have gone to see Marriage Story yeah. you may have missed out on those so maybe Netflix is a good thing in that sense but actually since doing this podcast, you've seen a lot of things that you mm. would never go and see. Yeah. And that's probably testament to the Unlimited card yeah. as well. The Unlimited card is great. So, you know, a little slight plug there for a it. A little plug for the Cinemaworld Unlimited card. <laughs> Unlimited cinema for just eighteen forty a month. Exactly. Um, but that, I think that rounds off um, this mm. episode quite nicely. We are going to quickly delve into a number of films that we are going to be recommending uh, from streaming services. Um, David, would you like to, to state a couple of yours first? Yeah, so the first couple of films that I would... Well, two films that I would like to uh, recommend uh, on Amazon Prime. The first one is Fisherman's Friends. Uh, we reviewed that uh, on Is It Worth It? Uh, the Film Review Podcast main show. I just think it's a really uplifting, feel-good, sing-along family movie that would be perfect for everyone to gather around the fire and watch over Christmas. So that's Fisherman's Friends, available now on Amazon Prime and also I'd like to recommend another film on Amazon Prime The Curious Case of Benjamin Button starring Bl Blad <laughs> Blad Pitt Blad Pitt the Russian no Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett um, what a film Craig just a magical journey sensational special mm. effects heartfelt warming um, nourishing film that really pulls at your heartstrings. A sensational performance by Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett is brilliant as well. That's available on Amazon Prime to stream now. So the two films I'd like to recommend on Amazon Prime are Fisherman's Friends and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, other films that are now available that we have reviewed on previous shows, we have Five Feet Apart on Netflix, Mary Queen of Scot 
Shots is now on Now TV. Uh, Bumblebee is on Now TV as well, minus Michael Bay. Minus thank Michael God. Bay. Thank God for that. Uh, Netflix uh, also has The Death of Stalin and Funny Cow, and on all four as well for uh, the UK uh, streaming people mm. who uh, like terrestrial TV and are able to go on all four. Logan is on there, uh, and that's an absolutely sensational superhero movie, mm. one that broke the boundaries of um, storytelling for superhero films, I think. Um, yeah. and, and the sensational film, so definitely go and check that out. Um, I think that's a quite a, a unique list there. Uh, we do have some other recommendations, don't we? Yes, we do, and these are the recommendations of today's special guest, my brother, Andrew Long. Hello. Uh, thank you once again for having me on the show. I very much enjoyed it and would love to be on again. I'm going to recommend three films for you today, um, two of which are on Netflix and one is on Amazon Prime. Um, so one on Amazon Prime is Green Book. Uh, this currently holds uh, the Best Picture Academy Award. Um, it's also nominated for another four Academy Awards. Uh, this film is set in 1962 and it follows the story of a tour of the Deep South by African-American uh, classical and jazz pianist Don Shirley and American bouncer Frank Vallelonga. Um, the other two films are on Netflix, first of which is Spotlight. Uh, this won the Best Picture Academy Award in 2015. Uh, this follows the very interesting story of Boston Globe's investigation into the Catholic Church. And my final recommendation is Moneyball, uh, which stars Brad Pitt. Uh, this was nominated for six Academy Awards, um, and it follows the story of baseball coach uh, Billy Bean and his transformation of the Oakland days. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew, for for sending that in after the, we, we did the live recording there uh, and we just dropped that in Um we appreciate people coming on the show mm. and, and giving their opinions as well. And to get the perspective of Andrew, who is an actor as well, uh, I think that's really brought some mm. some different insight into Yeah, it. and it will give me great pleasure to have him on the show when he's a major Hollywood star. <laughs> um, it will be great <laughs> to have him back on the show. Definitely, and I can see that happening, especially since he did Tom Hanks you know, already. Yeah, he, so. he is a very talented actor, and I'm looking forward to seeing where his career goes. Um, so that is the end of this episode uh, of Cinema at Home, uh, episode three. Uh, Ranji, uh, sending you our best wishes. Yes, um, Ranji. But we're also sending our audiences a, a very happy uh, Christmas mm. as well, because this should be going out just before Christmas, we hope. Yeah, that's the plan. So if this isn't out before Christmas, you know something terrible has happened to Craig in the <laughs> editing process. The flu has befallen yeah, me. Both both of us are a little bit um a little bit full of cold, but we've managed to I wanted to pump this out uh before Christmas and I'd like to second Craig's well wishes. So to all our listeners, I want to wish you a very merry Christmas and a very prosperous and happy new year and all the best for 2020, which is going to be the biggest and best year so far for is it worth it? the film review podcast now if you've got any views on the films that we've reviewed today or any upcoming films that you're seeing in the cinema for the main show you can email the show at my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com you can also help us up on various social media sites david what are the sites you don't have to give us the web addresses <laughs> so you can hit us up on facebook if you're old school like me you can hit us up on twitter and if you're really young and modern and hip you can follow us on instagram you can and in the future there is going to be something very different a way of sending us audio files or messages and that's going to be via WhatsApp I know wow. WhatsApp have now got a business account that mm. you can have and you can sort of send us voice memos through that and we really would appreciate uh, once that is out and started going probably the new year yeah. uh, that you will send us your voice memos uh, just like uh, Andy here uh, did earlier he sent us a very nice voice memo yeah, to one include minute, yeah. 
in in the show. So as a, a quick roundup of the films that you've seen, we can insert that in uh, later on uh, in the episodes when we record them. Um, mm. It would be really worthwhile doing. Yeah, honestly, nothing would give us greater pleasure than to have you, the listener, starring on the podcast, giving your opinions about the film. At the end of the day, this podcast is about building a film community and letting each other know what is worth seeing in the cinema and cinema at home. Exactly. Uh, we'll be back fairly soon, probably in the new year. We'll hope to get some more content out before, but it is going to be a bit of a struggle. But we've got so Road we to the Oscars. Mm. We've got more cinema at home. We've got more main shows. We've got bonus content coming up yeah. with some other really great stuff that we've been working on with the rest of the team. And we really can't wait for you to hear it. So to all of you, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.